0: You know, each day, every one of us has all kinds of things that we choose to do, that we choose not to do, decisions that we make, you know, some of them are really minor and minute, others are are bigger, what are you going to wear, what are you going to eat, some bigger ones, you know, who are you going to marry, where do you want to raise your family, where should I work, other ones, what should we do with our kids, should we homeschool them, should we go to a Christian school, should we go to public school? I can remember one time a person asked what we were going to do with our kids. And we told them they're going to go to school. And he said, don't you love your children? And I said, well, yeah, of course we love our children. And what was happening there is he was taking his personal preference for homeschooling and drawing a wrong conclusion about me because I wasn't homeschooling my kids. So there's a lot of decisions that are going to be individual decisions, right? what's best for you and what's best for your family. But we're going to look at one today where there is no no leeway at all and that's what do I do to get saved? That's what we're going to look at today and there's there's not something that I can do that you can do differently. There's only one way and we'll we'll uncover that today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. But before we dig into the passage here today, I'm just going to kind of give us a little timeline of some of the events that have gone on and what's, what's happening here. What's happening here? That's a good question. Um, anyhow, Acts picks up, Luke is the, the writer of Acts, and it covers a span of about 30 years, picks up pretty much right after Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. It, it hits on his ascension into heaven, which happened around 30 A.D., and then it covers a lot of important things with the, uh, the birth of the church. Um, the church is established at Pentecost. Peter preaches powerfully. Thousands of people get saved. The Holy Spirit comes down and the gospel begins to spread to Jews and Gentiles. And then we have the persecution of the church. Stephen becomes martyred. He becomes uh, drug out and stoned. And the, the church goes into this period of persecution which it stays in for for quite a while. And during this time, Paul was one of those who was in hearty agreement, it says, of putting Stephen to death. And he goes to Damascus and on the road to Damascus he encounters Jesus Christ and he becomes saved. And we know that he goes out and becomes probably the greatest missionary ever to walk the face of the earth. I mean, he was so bold and His ministry bared so much fruit. So we see that in in chapter 9. Right before that in chapter 8, we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who uh, was a Gentile who wanted to know what to do to get saved. And Philip went and showed him the way. So we have a Gentile being saved there. And then in Acts chapters 9 and 10, we see other uh, Gentiles that are coming to Christ um, through Peter and Then we have Paul and Barnabas take off on their first missionary journey and they're preaching to Gentiles. Some of them are are being uh, saved and that kind of sets us up. Right now it's about 49 A.D., so 19 or 20 years after uh, all the events of Easter time. So the church has grown, but it's still a really young church and they're going to encounter uh, an issue here. Let's read... uh, Acts 15, 1 through 15, and then we'll go back and look at it. Acts 15, 1 says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church... They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear?" But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were retelling what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can come here today, that we can assemble together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to listen to your word. And Father, I just pray that as I speak here, you would guard my mouth, that I would have your thoughts portrayed through me. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. So we see here in right away in verse 1. Paul and Barnabas get back. So from their first missionary journey, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, when they arrive Paul and Barnabas and gathered the church together, they begin to report all the good things God had done with them and how He opened up a door to the Gentiles. So as soon as they get back, they report to this church here in Antioch all these good things that God had done about converting the Gentiles. Well, we've now got Gentiles in the church instead of just Jews. And there's going to become a problem. We were back in chapter 6. Some of the Hellenistic widows were being neglected. That was kind of a a Jew-Gentile issue. They worked through that. Now we see here in chapter 15, there's a big issue that, that comes rearing its head. Some of the men came down and began teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, all of a sudden, the church here is confronted with a huge issue. You know, eternity is at stake here. Um, it's, uh, it's a problem that they have to deal with, and we've got this circumcision party, that's what I'm going to call them. You have got the circumcision party out here that are demanding that, hey, these Gentiles, yeah, they can be saved, but they've got to be circumcised too. So, the, uh, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. Wouldn't you have liked to listen to some of that? You know, Paul and Barnabas speaking to them. And it doesn't sound like these circumcision party, they're not backing down. They're debating right back. And they had great dissension. Big arguments taking place. And, you know, it's not over some small matter. It's over, like, the biggest matter. How can one be saved? So there's this huge dissension that's taking place. And it says the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center, the authority, the apostles were there, the elders were there. That's where the church was started. So we're going to send this contingent to the authority and let them, let them hash this out. You know, they, The church decided that, yeah, we need, to, we need to get an answer to this. We need to have some final conclusion. It tells us Paul and Barnabas went, and it says, and some others. So I'm assuming those are some of the circumcision party that also went to, to give their side of the story um, and they're going to try to come up with a, a resolution to this, to this issue. Verse 3: Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they're passing through Phoenician Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And we're bringing great joy to all the brethren. So, as they're heading there, Paul and Barnabas are telling them, Hey, you know, we stopped at this town, we stopped at this town, these people got saved, this is wonderful. And the response as they're going and telling that to these towns, wasn't shock and horror. (gasps) What? Gentiles are being saved? No, that can't be. Everyone was excited. They're saying, that's great. This is joyous, you know. So they're they're on their way. They get to verse verse 4. They get to Jerusalem. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. So they make their way to Jerusalem. And... I don't know what the elders or apostles in Jerusalem are thinking. All of a sudden, here comes this delegate with this huge issue for you to solve. Well, that's, that's what the leadership was there for, right? The apostles are there, the elders are there, and it's the center of, of the authority. So they welcome them, and it says in verse 4, they reported to them all that God had done with them. Same thing we saw in chapter 14, verse 27. They reported all the things that God had done with them. Not all the things that they had done, but that God had done. You know, they're not taking credit for any of these things. They're they're giving glory to God. This is what God did, you know. Um, So, verse 4, they're they're reporting all the same things to the church in Jerusalem that they came back and reported to the church in Antioch. And then we see here in verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. So here's the circumcision party. They're also present. They stood up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So the circumcision party is also there. They get their opportunity to speak and they're saying, you know, that's great, but Paul and Barnabas, your mission was a little bit faulty because you didn't tell them that they need to get circumcised and to observe the law of Moses. So they're insisting on that. And I think it's interesting to, to note, it says the Pharisees who believed. And, you know, what we know about the Pharisees is they were pretty uh, ritualistic, pretty legalistic. They like to follow everything to the letter. That's the way they were brought up. So it's not surprising that they were predisposed to think that the law had to be followed very rigidly. And this was a part of it. This is what we're going to do. I mean, I'm sure there's some of you in different families that grew up having different ideas about dancing or cards or drinking or whatever it is. Because that's the way you grew up, and that's what you're predisposed to do. These Pharisees, they're predisposed to follow the law. That's what, that's what they were there for. So, you know, they stand up and they say, hey, you've got to circumcise them. So we get to verse 6 there. It says, The apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. So the apostles and elders, they hear both sides. They come together. They're going to have a little private meeting. And they're going to decide to look into the matter. So, you know, the the apostles and the elders, they all get together. And they say, hey, we got a big problem here. People are wondering, do we have to be circumcised to be saved? Well, we're going to hear from a few of these apostles and elders. Peter's going to stand up first and take the stage. Then Paul and Barnabas are going to stand up and take the stage. And then James is also going to stand up and take the stage and report what this group came up with. They're going to report the findings to everybody. So we see here in verse 7, after there had been much debate, much debate, they're considering this thing from all the different angles that they can. Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10 for a minute. Peter is taking us back to this interaction he had with a man named Cornelius years before. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. Here we got a Gentile. Okay, a devout Gentile. And if we continue reading through chapter 10, we're going to see that Cornelius is directed by the Lord to send for Peter. So as Cornelius is, is being told that, that, hey, I should, I should seek out this man named Peter, in uh, chapter, chapter 10, verse 10, Peter is having some kind of interaction with God, too. First tense is, uh, this is Peter, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat!' But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So anyhow, Peter has this vision. Okay, next thing you know, Cornelius' guys are knocking on Peter's door saying, hey, Peter, come with us. Our our master Cornelius sent for you. And Peter, he decides to go. Um, So we're still in chapter 10. We're jumping ahead a few verses. And Cornelius has got uh, his family's assembled. He's got a whole pile of friends, neighbors. I mean, he knows that this Peter is coming. And he wants everybody around him that he cares about to hear what Peter's got to say. So he he assembles his whole his whole family and others there to hear Peter. We get to uh, verse 34. Peter says opening his mouth Peter said I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Then we jump ahead to verse 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone, believe, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So anyhow, what what happens here is as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit comes down, and these Gentiles are filled with the Spirit. So getting back to chapter 15 now, we've got this encounter with with Cornelius and Peter and the others that were traveling with Peter. And in verse 7 there, Peter said that, Hey, you know, by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us also. These believers who were with him were amazed that the Holy Spirit could come to Gentiles. God knows the heart, cleansing their hearts by faith. God was testifying to their salvation by giving them the Holy Spirit. These Gentiles hadn't kept the law, they hadn't been circumcised, yet God was testifying to their faith when he showed them and gave them the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that God wouldn't give the uh, Holy Spirit to those with unclean hearts. He talks there about how they had clean hearts. And then verse 9, And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Romans 8, 9 says, However, you are not in the, f- in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And they had the Spirit of Christ. Galatians 3.14 In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul wrote that to the Galatian church almost At the exact same time as this, maybe a month before this all happened, he had written his letter to the Galatians. And he talks there about Abraham's seed, the Jewish people, how God would allow the Gentiles in to receive the promise that was given to Abraham. And it said, through the spirit of faith. So Gentiles' faith was all that was needed. Verse 10 says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And this yoke is the law that the circumcision party wanted to place on the Gentiles. Hey, you, can, you need to have faith, but you need to have this too. That's what they're saying. And, and Peter is saying, Hey, how is that going to help them? It didn't help us. You know when you think of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the 10 commandments, he's got the law. How long did it take for the people to break the commandments? Man, not long at all, right? Not long at all. And Jesus in his sermon on the mount talked about well even if you can if you can physically keep the law, that's not all. It's your your thoughts too. Are your thoughts pure? How are your attitudes? Have you ever had bad thoughts towards someone, you ever done something with the wrong attitude, then you've broken the law. So Peter is saying, hey, this law this law doesn't save us. You know. So by tacking the law onto the faith, that isn't going to save anyone. That's just going to be a burden that they cannot bear, just like we couldn't bear it. So they, uh, they were trying to impose the law on their Gentiles, Judaizing them, trying to bring in some of their thoughts into Christianity, and they were trying to Judaize them. So this circumcision party, you know, they, they viewed Christianity maybe as a sort of Judaism where you had to add some of their traditional things to it. And the law at that time, you know, wasn't just the Ten Commandments, but they had all kinds of dietary and ceremonial, and I mean, hundreds of things were in that law that they thought that these Gentiles should, should keep in order to be saved. So Peter tells him, no, we, we weren't able to do it. There's no reason to do it. Verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. We're saved the same way that they are, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, makes, he says that again in verse 9. He made no distinction between us and them. There's not one set of rules for the Jews and one set of rules for the Gentiles. Everything is the same. He makes no distinction through them. Jesus and Gen- not Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are saved in the exact same manner. So Peterson make, Peter makes this argument. He talks about Cornelius. He talks about, hey, the Holy Spirit authenticated their salvation. The law doesn't add anything to it. And I, it would be awesome if you were at that council and you could hear Peter speaking, you know, how much more eloquent he would be and filled with the Spirit. And you get to verse 12, he did a great job. It says, all the people kept silent, you know. And before, there's great dissension. There's all this arguing back and forth. Verse 12, the people kept silent. Peter gets done. Paul and Barnabas step up. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas had just gotten back from this first missionary journey. And they already told in uh, verse 27 of 14 all these great things they had done. Chapter uh, 3, as they're on their way passing through these cities, they're talking about all these great things that, that God had done through them. Now we get here into this assembly and they stand up and relate signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, chapter 14, we're going to go back and look at one of these signs. Chapter 14, verse 8. It says, At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come like men and have come down to us. Anyhow, the the crowd kind of took it wrong. you know, thought they were Hermes and Zeus. But the point is, this miracle happened to this Gentile. You know, and we even got a little kid song and we're walking and leaping and praising God. That's this guy here from Lystra. And so Paul and Barnabas are relaying I don't know how many stories they have, but I'm sure a bunch of them. That's just one of them that we know happened on that missionary journey. And one of them that most likely they relayed to them, the healing of the lame man. So they're preaching that salvation is by grace through faith. Chapter 13, verse 38 and 39 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Once again, the law cannot save you, but belief or faith will save you. So God was attesting, God was confirming their message by miracles. If you go to the adult Sunday school class, we went through the book of Hebrews not too long ago. And one of the passages in there, Hebrews 2, verses uh, 3 and 4, says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. So he was confirming the message of Paul and Barnabas By allowing them to do miracles. The circumcision party, you know, they thought that that missionary journey was not sufficient because it needed to include circumcision and the law of Moses. Well, after that, uh, verse 13, after they had stopped, James answered. James gets up and James is going to speak. And you can read about that further in Acts chapter 15. Uh, Basically what he says is that even in the Old Testament times, the Gentiles were always part of God's plan. That was always part of the plan that they, that they would be able to be saved. When you think of people today, people today, some have different ideas on how they're going to get to heaven, on what they need to do to be saved. Many rely on some kind of combination like the circumcision party here, like faith and being good, Giving money to charity, giving money to the church, faith in some kind of works. The Bible here is telling us that faith is what is needed. It's clear that faith is what's needed. I'm going to pump through a few verses in Galatians right now. You don't need to turn to them all, but you can because they're all right there. I'm going to be in Galatians 2. And just listen to, to, to what Paul says in these, uh, in these verses here in Galatians. First one is 216. Nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That seems pretty clear. Not by works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Chapter 3, verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Chapter 6, verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. And then we run out of room in Galatians, but I got one right in the next book in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that any man may boast. When you read through that, it seems so clear. The law does nothing to save you. The law doesn't save you. Faith is what saves you. Faith in Christ. And James tells us that if we have a saving faith, we're going to desire to do good works. Good works aren't going to save us, but if I have faith in Jesus and I'm trying to follow him, I'm naturally going to... Good works are naturally just going to flow out of me. You know? Um, and you think of Paul and Silas. After they had been preaching, they got thrown in, in jail. And you remember it was back in Acts 16. The Philippian jailer asked them, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If we add anything to Jesus' completed work on the cross, we take away and minimize what it was that he did for us. He finished it. It, It's done. We looked in Sunday school today, in 1 Peter chapter 3, how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because his work here is completed. When I look back here on our passage today, chapter 15, 1 through 15, a couple things that, that stick out to me. One is the, uh, how the church dealt with the problem. They took it seriously. They realized that, hey, this is something we got to be spot on with. Okay? It's not one of these things where you can think one thing is okay and I can think one thing's okay and, you know, we'll let our conscience rule. No, this is something that they, they couldn't push to the side. And they also didn't shame either one of the groups. They said, okay, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to dig into this. We're going to send this delegate up to the authority. We're going to have them decide it. So they set the delegation in motion. They sought godly help and wisdom. And then when they got there, the council listened to both sides. They listened to the arguments on both sides. And then the apostles and the elders get up and give evidence as to why they ruled the way they did. Hey, This is why we believe that salvation is through faith alone. God confirmed it through the Holy Spirit with these people. The law itself cannot save anyone. God confirmed the works of Paul and Barnabas through miracles. None of them had been circumcised, and yet God accepted them. We should accept them. So, once they made their decision and gave evidence for their decision, if you read further in chapter 15, they send out delegates to the churches and inform them of what the decision was. They don't leave them hanging out there or just send it back to the one. They let all of them know, hey, this is is sound doctrine. This is what we believe and why we believe it. So that's the church's pattern in that. But, you know, when we look at this, there's certainly something that's a personal application for us today. You know, what have I done with Jesus? God sent Jesus to the earth to forgive people of their sins. And he's shown us clearly in Acts 15 what one must do to be saved. And all these other passages that we looked at in Galatians, it's faith in Jesus Christ. So I just want you to think about yourself. Have you called out in faith to Jesus Christ to save you? Have you called out for the forgiveness of your sins? That's all we need to do. Romans uh, 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It seems like sometimes we try to make salvation more difficult. And it's not that difficult. But we do need to believe, and we need to have this faith that trusts in Jesus at all times and then live it out. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just thank you for your great love that you would plan a way that you would be able to bring us to heaven. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for those who share the gospel with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.